I thought it was interesting, some of the songs that, um, that Shane chose, um, you know, coming back to you and uh, just the way that he kind of went in a, def a different, couple different places in uh, the music. And I thought, well, that's very apropos because we're gonna be in a bunch of different places today as we review, um, actually chapter 12 through 31. And uh, I thought, okay, we, we can do this. I, I would like to make it really fun and funny, but some of the things are kind of icky. So <laughs> um, let's just jump right into it. I actually labeled this or titled it Focus, Focus, Focus. Um, I've had a hard time focusing on the Lord these past months. I tend to um, listen to the news or read something on Facebook or watch a YouTube and totally lose sight of who's in control, right? So, um, but actually I was thinking in real estate, the most important factor they tell you is location, location, location. And uh, we find in our studies that um, it's also important with God. Um, he, he finds us where we are, and he takes us where he wants us to be. So location is, is an important factor, too. Um, so we're going to see today that the patriarchs were often in the exact location to be used by God. And like I said, I am going to attempt to summarize um, Genesis chapter 12 through 31. Um, so what I need you to do is focus, focus, focus. Um, I really, I, I believe that the Christian life um, is, is all about focus. Um, where has your focus been these past months? And where is your focus when life is grand, when everything seems to be going well? Um, can you focus when all about you is chaos or even despair? God is calling you to do just that, to get your eyes off the world and to get your eyes off the news of the day, off of Facebook, Instagram, all of those, you know, YouTube and the like, and just focus on Jesus. So do you need more faith to do that? I do. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So if we ask him, he will grant us more faith, and not only faith, but wisdom, joy, and his peace. He has blessings in store for you, promises to keep, and he is faithful. We don't have to worry about that one. He will do it. So let's look at what God did for Abraham. It said that God called Abraham to be the father of a people that would represent God to the world. That was his purpose in calling Abraham. That wasn't an easy task. And, you know, you ask yourself, or I ask myself, was Abraham really up to it? Probably not, because he was really just an ordinary man. But it is said that God uses the ordinary to do a, accomplish extraordinary things. God equips those he calls, and he directs their steps. In chapter 12, we see that God told Abraham to go to a place that he would show him, sight unseen, 
God wants to direct your steps as well. Your steps can be directed by God if you will only listen. Well, God promises Abraham a whole list of blessings. Um, we, we studied them. They were the I wills that, that we looked at. Abraham would be a great nation. He would be a blessing. His name would be great. And God would bless those who bless him and curse those who dishonor him. And finally, that all people would be blessed through him. At another time, God tells Abraham that he will have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And I'm sure Abraham thought that that was an impossible promise since he and Sarah were childless and they were old. So here we go. Abraham is called. He's given the promises. But on the way to the place where God would show him, there is a famine. Does Abraham consult God? No. He decides to run to Egypt. And while, they're there, he's, while, while they are there, he tells this big, fat lie that he's so famous for. Well, it's a half-truth, not really a whole lie, because um, he tells his beautiful wife, Sarah, to say that she is his sister. And in a way, the way the Jewish people looked at relatives, she could be considered a sister. He feared that Pharaoh would be so enthralled with her that he would kill Abraham in order to have Sarah for his own. And Sarah does what she's told, but somehow God makes everything work out okay, which reminds me of Romans 8.28. But I don't think God really wants us to go around lying just so he can make all things work out for those who love him. Do you? No. <laughs> now, Abe's nephew, Lot, is traveling with them, and Abe allows him to choose his own land. He um, chooses some prime real estate for sure, but ends up that it's not quite the best location, and he gets captured in a war. So Abraham sets out to rescue him, and he does. The surrounding kings admire Abe's prowess and, and war tactics so much that they try to make an alliance with him, but he wants nothing to do with these evil kings. He does, however, honor the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Do you remember him? He, we find that he's a type of Christ. He is the king of peace. And Abraham actually gives him a tithe. At this point, Abe is nearly 100 years old and probably wondering about the promised blessings. Well, God comes to him in a vision, telling him that he is not to be afraid and tells him that he, that he is his shield and his very great reward. That's the promise that you have, too. God is your, your very great reward. He is that shield about you. Will you choose to focus on God and his promises and not what the world has to offer? God also adds one more promise of land to his descendants. All this mention of offsprings and descendants seems to put Sarah into a tizzy. And she decides to offer Abraham her maidservant as a surrogate mother. This happens to be 
pretty normal or kosher in those days, but it's certainly not what God had in mind. They seem to be trying to play God, but the covenant promises are not up to Abraham. They are up to God, and so this becomes a problem. Not only for the happy couple, but for the world at large. Hagar, the maid, does indeed bear a son to Abraham. His name was Ishmael. Abraham loved him, but God needed to get his focus back on his calling. So Ishmael was actually sent away. Then one day, three visitors appeared to Abraham, and Abraham was the hostess with the mostess. He fed them and washed their feet. They had come to tell him that Sarah would become pregnant and have a son the very next year at that same time. Well, Sarah just laughed. <laughs> so she was nearly 90, and I think I would have laughed too. But the visitors also had another mission. You'll remember that they were going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah for their sins. And unfortunately, that is where Lot was living. So we see Abraham plead with the men to save those in Sodom who are righteous. He starts out asking, if there are just 50 righteous people, will, will, you, will you relent? And then it goes to 40, 30, 20, and finally just 10. What if there are just 10 righteous? Well, we know that Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, but that God honored Abraham by saving Lot. Abraham's faith is growing, we see, with each event. But, when he seems to, but then he seems to lose focus. Abe once again lies to a king about Sarah being his sister. It's crazy. Yet God appears to the king in a vision, and once again God redeems the day. I wrote down this quote, and I forget where I got it or who said it, so I can't give credit. But it said, fear causes us to do some crazy things at times but there is nothing crazy about calling out to God and reminding him of his promises. Well, lying was a crazy thing for Abraham to do, especially since God had proven himself to be faithful to his word. I thought when we focus on God instead of our circumstances, we forget that we can call out to God. He hears our cry. And he reminds us of his promises when our focus is, focus is on him. Well, at the age of 90 and 100, Sarah and Abraham become parents. Isaac is born. And before we know it, Abe's faith is tested. You'll remember God instructs him to take his son, calling Isaac his only son, and offer him as a sacrifice. You know the story. Isaac is not a child at this time. Abe and Isaac set out early in the morning. There is no delay in Abe's obedience, which is remarkable. And what trust we see in Isaac as he's the one that carries the wood for the burnt offering. Abe tells the servants to wait and get this. Abraham says, we will be right back. That's faith. He plans to do what God has asked him to do to sacrifice his only son 
but he believes God's promises. He believes that God will resurrect Isaac, that they would both be back soon. Such faith, such focus. I just have to read the verses to you because they're just amazing to me. This is Genesis 22, 5 through 18. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Did you get that? God himself will provide the lamb for the offering, and he did. Abraham passed the test. He was so focused on God's promises that he did not hold back. Neither did God withhold his only son to be sacrificed for our sins. What a picture of God's plan for the redemption of mankind. Well, as we go on, Sarah, we find out, dies at 127. And we're told in chapter 24 that Abraham was blessed in every way. Abraham sent his servant at this time to bring back a bride for Isaac. And the servant prays for a miracle. He sets out to go to Abraham's family, and he ends up at the exact place and time to meet Rebecca. Location, location, location. 
He asks God to show him the bride of God's choice by having a shepherdess offer to water his camels. Now, these were a lot of camels, and this would take a lot of water and a lot of work. But Rebecca was not only beautiful, she had a servant's heart, and she delighted to water the servant's camels. She turned out to be a relative, surprise, surprise, of Abraham, and the servant couldn't seem to stop telling and retelling the magnificent story of God's faithfulness to both him and his master. You know, God loves it when we tell others all the great things he has done. Do you find yourself telling and retelling of God's blessings in your life? I think I've been guilty in the last months of complaining more than praising. What about you? And really, it just takes a little shift in focus. Years ago, uh, Georgie Reed talked about um, focusing, and she gave us an example, and it just has always stuck with me, that when the world is in chaos and things are going on and there are circumstances that are out of your control, where is God? Is he far away so that you can see everything that's going on? Or is he right up here where you can focus on the Lord and all of these things just seem to just vanish or, or be so far away and knowing that God will handle all of these things for you? I love that example and I use it a lot. Even uh, there's a commercial for... I think it's wrestling or something, and there's some uh, champion wrestler, and he's always going like this on TV. And I think, is he trying to focus on God? Probably not, but it makes me remind, my, reminds me to focus on God. Well, when Isaac's laid eyes on Rebecca, when the servant brought her back to him, it was love at first sight. But mind you, she was veiled. So, you know, what was it that he saw about her? He loved her, though. Rebecca becomes pregnant with twins. Esau and Jacob are born, and the rivalry begins, not only among the boys, but actually between the parents as well, and eventually the nations. We know very little of Isaac. There was not really a, a whole lot about him, but we see that he did follow in his father's footsteps at one point. He was a faithful man, we're told in chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, Yet he also lied about Rebekah. He, he said the same lie, that she is my sister, to protect himself from another king. Well, at the close of his life, Isaac called Esau, and this was his favorite son, into his bedside or to his bedside to receive a blessing. Well, Esau had sold his birthright, so he really didn't have a right to this blessing, and Rebekah knew it. So she conspired with Jacob to steal the blessing. Seeing such a dysfunctional family in the lives of God's chosen people, is it any wonder that mankind needs a savior? The rival between the brothers causes Jacob to flee for his life. He was afraid what Esau would do. Rebekah sends Jacob to her family, where we meet Laban and his two daughters. It is on this journey that Jacob actually has that famous dream that we often refer to as Jacob's ladder, where the angels were coming up and down, and God actually repeats his promises to Jacob personally. Jacob knows now that he shares in the blessings from God of Abraham, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father. 
And God tells him that his descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Well, when Jacob arrives in the village of his relatives, he is met by Rachel, and he falls instantly in love with her. Again, location, location, location. <laughs> he is so head over heels about her that he agrees to work for seven years for her hand in marriage. That's amazing to me. Well, Laban is a trickster. And at the end of the seven years, Jacob finds himself married to the older, more homely sister, Leah. Jacob complains, and rightly so. But I thought, might this be a payback for his conniving ways? We see, see Jacob as a, a trickster and a manipulator as well. Well, Laban offers Rachel for another seven years of labor, and Jacob agrees. The dysfunction, though, continues. Leah has four sons, while Rachel remains childless. So Rachel offers Jacob her maidservant, Bilhah, who gives Jacob two more sons. Then Leah seems unable to get pregnant, so now she offers her maid, Zilpah, as a surrogate. Zilpah gives Jacob two more sons, so that's eight total now. And then, surprise, Leah has two more sons. She also has a daughter. Finally, Rachel is with child, and she gives birth to Joseph, his 11th son. This Joseph is that famous, the coat of many colors, Joseph, because this is Jacob's favorite son. So more dysfunction follows in the lessons ahead, for sure. Now Jacob and Laban are at odds. They're both connivers, they're manipulators. How can they be friends, right? Jacob decides that it's time for him to return home, and he takes what is his, leaving without as much as a goodbye. Well, of course, they are pursued by Laban and his boys, and they are accused of all sorts of things. But when Laban accuses someone of stealing his household gods, Jacob makes a rash statement. He says, anyone who has stolen your gods will not live. Unbeknownst to Jacob, Rachel was the one that was in possession of her father's idols. And like her father, she was good at lying. She was a true manipulator. So she gets away with it. Or does she? Do we ever get away with sinning? Well, you'll have to stay tuned as we resume our study, starting with chapter 32 next week. I hope you all picked up a lesson if you didn't have one or you've already got yours ready to go for next week. But I thought we could list the characteristics of each of our characters, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But more importantly, we need to focus on God's awesome attributes. And we can choose some applications as we live out the Christian life representing God to the world. It's not just Abraham and the people, his people, that want to, that God wants us, God wants to represent himself to the world, but he wants us to represent him to the world as well. God told Abraham to go to a place that he would show him, and Abraham obeyed. He was faithful. In fact, Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
Abraham was faithful. God had a plan, and he used an ordinary man and directed his steps. God is faithful, and God is in control. I believe that God wants to meet each of our steps, or direct each of our steps, because he has a plan for our life, and he can use each of us if we are faithful and if we keep our focus on Jesus. Well, Abraham was obedient. Are you? He was unselfish. He was giving. He gave Lot his choice of the land. He was focusing on others. God gave his one and only son to die on our behalf. God also is unselfish. Abraham was courageous, fighting for what is right. God tells us to be strong and courageous, giving us his armor and his strength. He is our shield and our refuge. Abraham was incorruptible. He did not want to align himself with evil kings. There is no evil or corruptible thing about our God. And he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We need to know him and his word in order to not be shaken or aligned with any false teaching or doctrine. We need to be incorruptible. He was mighty in prayer, pleading for the life of Lot. God desires that all would be saved, right? And as we pray for our loved ones, friends, and families, our dear Lord and Savior sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Well, Abraham failed at times. He was human. But his mistakes did not disqualify the calling on his life. God's promises depend on God, not us. I want to say those two senses again. Abraham failed. He was human. But his mistakes did not disqualify the calling on his life. God's promises depend on God, not us. Remember it was said of Abraham that God had blessed him in every way. When his focus was on God and he followed God's directions, he prospered. He was blessed. What draws your focus from God? Why is it that we can trust God for the big picture, mainly salvation, yet fall short on the day-to-day needs and decisions? I know I do. I don't, I don't pray about every decision. I don't mean where to park my car or something like that, but you know, there are decisions that are, would be so much easier made if we just trusted the Lord and gave those over to him. Well, let's go on to Isaac. We see that Isaac was submissive at the testing of Abraham's faith. Christ also submitted to God the Father on our behalf so that we too can learn to submit to God's will. He was affectionate. He loved Rebekah sight unseen. And God loved us while we were yet sinners, and he gave his life for us. Isaac was a man of peace, making peace with those at Beersheba. That was the king that uh, he lied about uh, his wife and ended up making a, a, not a covenant, a contract over um, a, a water, a well. 
God has come to make peace with the sinner. He is peace, and he brings peace through the fruit of the Spirit. Hebrews 11.20 tells us, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. He trusted God for his promises, and we know that our God is faithful and cannot lie. So what about Jacob? He gets a bum rap, and I'm guilty of doing that. I call him a conniver and all those kind of stuff. Well, it's said that he has natural craftiness. <laughs> That's a, a, a positive way to put it, I guess. In one sense, it's negative, but in the hands of God, it means that one is skillful or clever, even wise. Certainly, our God is skillful at producing good out of what man meant for evil. He was also industrious, and he knew what he was doing with the sheep and the goats. You'll, you, hopefully you remember that. God is at work in us and for us and always in control of the outcome. And at the end of Jacob's life, he learns to trust and to lean on God, proving that he is faithful. God is trustworthy. His promises are yes and amen. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You can lean on him, and you find that he cares for you more than you can ever know. So how can we foster these same characteristics? Well, we need to be obedient, say yes when he calls, and seek his will for our lives. If you don't know how, all you need to do is ask him. Ask him for the faith to believe his word, to believe his promises for the time to seek his face, and for the direction in your life. Be unselfish by loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. Have a hard time with some people? I know I do. <laughs> Start praying for them. It's really hard to dislike someone that you pray for. Love isn't a feeling, it's a choice. We need to choose to think of others more than ourselves. That is the epitome of unselfishness. That is Christ in you. We can be courageous, bold in our witness. We can tell and retell of all that God has done for us. We can be his light and we can shine forth the truth. It takes courage, especially with family members, I find. But your life is your greatest witness. What does your lifestyle say about Christ? Someone is always watching. Be Christ to those around you. Be incorruptible. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Having been born again, that's us, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Do not be swayed by the clever words of false teachers. Be careful what your little eyes and your little eyes are subject to. That wasn't the verse, that was me. <laughs> and know the words so that you can recognize the counterfeit lies and the half-truths. Be mighty in prayer. Need I say more? <laughs> we need more prayer. 
we have stressed that this class is a Bible study and not a prayer meeting, but we really want to be available to those of you that have special needs and prayer requests. So from this day forward, we do want to offer a time of prayer at the end of our class after we've had the lecture. Ordinarily, we do the group time and then the lecture. And um, we, we want to be able to um, you know, meet you where you, you are and pray for you and know what's going on in your lives. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, be in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Another thing is we can be submissive. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. How often do we come to God for his approval of our plans instead of submitting to his will? I know I'm guilty of that. To submit means to yield or defer. Isn't it right and fitting to yield to the one who created us? pardon me, created us, to defer to his perfect plan and purpose. I think so. <laughs> we are to be people that bring peace. Do we really always have to have the last word or our own way? How often that breaks peace between people. Peace at all costs might not be you know, might not work, but peace for the cause of Christ is certainly worth keeping my mouth shut. I don't know about you. We also can be skillful and use our talents in serving God by serving his people. We can be industrious in helping a cause, volunteering time, talent, and treasure. And finally, we can be faithful. The definition of faithful is to be loyal, constant, steadfast. Will you be loyal to your commitment to this study and in your attendance as we finish strong this study of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I hope so. Will you be constant in praying for your church, your pastors, the other leaders, and for the church in general in these trying times? And will you be steadfast holding fast to God's word, its truth, and his promises. It's all about focus. In all these things, our focus must be on Christ the Lord. I leave you with these two verses. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in and are focused on you. And 1 Peter 5, 10 says, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He that is faithful will do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being with us today, for bringing us together once again. The just the delight I feel by looking out and seeing the faces of these women who love you, love to study your word, is just remarkable. And I thank you, Father, that as we go into groups, that you will protect us, you will keep us healthy and strong, 
that you will mind our words, that uh, we will p keep the peace, that the controversies that might arise as we fellowship. Father, we pray that, um, that you would quell those. Father, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in everything that is said in the groups and that you yourself would lead the, the conversation and the sharing. I thank you again for who you are, the faithfulness that you have promised us and shown to be true. Father, remind us often of all the promises that we have and all of the great things that you have done. And then, Father, help us to be bold and to share those with others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, ladies, as promised, we do want to be um, aware of what your preferences are. I don't see a lot of masks out there right now sitting in the pew, um, but we would like, um, Denise is going, where's Denise? Denise is in the back. She is going to lead a group that of you that feel um, that you want to continue to wear a mask and, and be social distance, you know, that's six feet away. She's got chairs set up in the foyer, pretty, pretty far apart. And uh, feel free to join Denise there if that's where you would like to be and feel most comfortable. Um, Leanna is going to be in here in the sanctuary, probably over more in this area, Leanna. And for those of you that don't care if you wear a mask, but you do want to social distance and you want to stay in the pews, you know, every other pew and six feet apart, that'll be a group. And then um, I'll have a group over in the alcove over there that if you um, feel comfortable not wearing a mask, there are about 16 chairs over there, so we can set every other chair. So we will have a, a certain amount of social distancing. It won't be six feet. So um, are there any questions about that? I don't see that. Um, let's pray that this day, this coming back for the first time, is so successful that we can share with others that maybe had a little bit of uh, you know, caution that they didn't want to come, that, that it worked out good, and that we can get on with our lessons. Um, I don't know if you saw in the back, there's uh, a lesson that you can pick up. It's for chapter 32. If you've been coming, you've already got it. Um, hopefully, you've even got it done. There's a, a schedule for the next six lessons, and there's, um, what is it? Oh, another sheet that tells you how to do the study if you haven't done the study before.